Hello, and welcome to the 3 for Thursday podcast for FMI.online. I'm your host, Neeti Jain, and today's 3 for Thursday is Top 3 Behavioral Finance Biases. What would be the top three behavioral finance biases that impact investors? Behavioral finance is the cognitive and emotional factors that impact decision-making for financial analysts in investments or decisions that they make. So today I have our our guest, Ryan, who's normally been on the other side um, to answer this question for us and also explain a little bit more on what behavioral finance is. Welcome, Ryan. Good morning, Niti. How are you today? Um, it looks like it might be fairly sunny in Mumbai, or are my eyes playing tricks on me? Good morning, Ryan. It's not very sunny, or it looks bright, but it's been pouring since two weeks now, so I hope oh. we get some sun soon. Oh, well, at least you can see out your window. I'm stuck here in this little room because I've just finished a session, uh, delivering a, a session on behavioral finance to one of our investment banking clients. So it's a good topic to discuss this morning. Yeah, that's that's nice to know. What do you think is behavioral finance and how does it make this how does it impact decision making? Behavioral finance is really an alternative paradigm to perhaps what we would call fundamental or fundamental analysis or, or rational investing. If you're a fundamental analyst, what you're really doing is that you're trying to figure out what should happen to a, the value of an asset. Uh, You're doing things like analyzing the company's financials. You are doing macroeconomic analysis. Uh, You're you're analyzing and collecting all these different types of information to make a rational decision about what position to take based on a longer-term view of the market. Behavioral finance, which has developed over the last 30 years, states that as we make those decisions or as we make decisions under uncertainty, which is, you know, every investment decision has an element of uncertainty to it. Behavioral finance really states that we don't behave in a rational way when we make these decisions. We actually make predictable cognitive errors. We're prone to irrational decision-making. We're not very good at assessing probabilities. And all of this impacts our investment decisions in a way which is predictable as well. Uh, and, and really, it's, it's come to the forefront a lot in the world of finance uh, since the early 1980s. And, and it really has since the global financial crisis, I think, of 2008, really picked up momentum in terms of, of interest in the subject. So one of our investment banking clients uh, just asked for a session on that this morning, which I've just delivered. So what I thought would be quite interesting is thinking about what the three most common behavioral finance biases are in in investing. Do you have much familiar with behavioral finance? Do you have any ideas what they might be? Because I might ask you a couple of questions to test you. No, I don't have a lot of idea. In fact, I think I'm an irrational investor. So maybe you can give us some more insights into what are the other factors that uh, might be the biases here or what more impacts the investors. So Ryan, what do you think are the top three biases in behavioral finance that impact investors? What are your top, what is your top one? My top one. Uh, I think this is one that everybody suffers from. And I'm going to ask you a question, Nitty. You've got two choices and I want you to think about this and what will make you happier or what would make you happier? 
winning a thousand dollars on a lottery ticket but losing 800 of it as you walk home or winning 200 dollars on a lottery ticket i think they both are the same but winning 200 dollars would make me more happier because i know that's the guaranteed money that i have and i've won something at the end of it rather than losing the feeling of losing that's right and answering that question that way is consistent with the way that most people answer that question even though as you've said in both scenarios, you end up with $200. The fact that you lost $800 out of that thousand really weighs heavily on people's minds. It makes them feel the hurt that they feel from losing that $800 is really quite significant. And behavioral finance, and in behavioral finance, we call that loss aversion. Loss aversion is this idea that we feel the pain of losses much more acutely than we feel the pleasure from equivalent gains. And we'll actually take risky behavior to avoid incurring losses. So loss aversion is your top one behavioral finance biases. What, what would your number two be, Ryan? Uh, number two would be uh, something called confirmation bias. And I don't know if you do this, but I think I certainly do this. If I've got an idea for a trade or if I've got an investment idea or if I want something to happen in the future, like maybe interest rates increasing, um, I will look for information that confirms my view. Um, so confirmation bias is this idea that investors actively go along and seek information that supports their original idea about investment rather than seeking out contradictory information. I um, mean, an example of this is an investor might be thinking about investing in a company. So let's say they might be thinking about investing in Tesla, for example. What an, an investor will do that suffers from confirmation bias is focus on all the green flags about that investment. So for example, it might be a growing cash flow. It might be reducing debt to equity ratio. It might be increasing profit margins. But in doing so, what they do is that they gloss over or they don't pay any attention to red flags about that investment because it's contrary to their original idea. So, for example, um, there might be some loss of, a critical, uh, of critical customers. There might be dwindling market share. Um, and so confirmation bias ignores all those, all those red flags because they don't confirm the investor's original hypothesis or idea, and they pay much more attention to the green flags. And that's called confirmation bias. That's a good explanation, Ryan. So loss aversion and confirmation bias are your top three. What's your number three? Number three. I've got another question for you, actually, Nissi. When you compare your driving ability to your friends, because I know you like to drive, when you compare your driving ability to your friends, are you above average? Are you about average with the rest of them? Or are you below average? I think I'm the best driver. Considering the driving scene in Mumbai, I'm a best aggressive driver, you can say. <laughs> if you're equating being an aggressive driver with being the best driver, I think that you should be a Formula One driver. But yeah, famous behavioral finance um, uh, practitioners over a period of time have studied this idea of overconfidence and they've asked the similar questions in different ways to people and, and people generally 
are overconfident in their own ability. And when we ask a group of people about their driving ability, for example, it should be that one third say they're above average, a third say they're about average, and a third say they're below average mathematically. But what you find time and time again is that people overestimate their own driving ability and you get this, this weighting towards a group of people all believing that they're overconfident in their driving ability. Um, amongst professionals, like for example, fund managers or traders, overconfidence is greatest in these professions where you can be impacted by many external factors. For example, an investment manager can blame external factors like um, the Fed unexpectedly raising interest rates um, or a company that was performing really, really well, having an unexpected earnings downturn, things that we just can't foresee. And in those sorts of professions, overconfidence tends to be higher because these professionals tend to be able to blame these external forces on bad investments rather than their own investment ability. And in fact, going back to our driving example, there was a famous study that I remember reading that actually that same question was asked of Swedish drivers and 90% of Swedish drivers in a national survey thought that they or claimed that they were above average drivers. They were so overconfident in their driving ability. And overconfidence is a rare, oh, here's another question for you. Who do you think it impacts more? And this has been kind of shown uh, in studies. Are men more overconfident in their abilities or are women more overconfident in their abilities? I think men would definitely be uh, more overconfident. Uh, women, in fact, I feel are not confident on the other hand. Yeah, that's right. Uh, men suffer from overconfidence much more acutely than women. And studies that compared female traders and female fund managers to male traders and male fund managers show that male fund managers and, and male traders trade much more often um, in the markets than female traders and fund managers because they're overconfident in their own ability to be able to make good trade decisions and, and beat the market. So overconfidence may lead to overtrading on portfolios, and that obviously has a detriment because of the cost involved there. Overconfidence can lead to poor risk management um, approaches. And you know some of the biggest um, financial scandals in banks come from traders being overconfident in their abilities and not sort of um, um, maintaining appropriate risk management uh, protocols on, on their trades. Um, and so overconfidence is, is my number three in terms of um, behavioral finance biases that we find in investors. Thank you, Ryan, for this nice short podcast on behavioral finance. I think I've learned quite a bit on behavioral finance and the biases that impact decision-making abilities. Thank you to the people who have listened to our podcast so far. A really big thank you to those who have given us feedback on what we can do for our future 3 for Thursday podcast. Keep, please let them coming in. Drop me a message on LinkedIn if you have any other suggestions for our future podcast. We'd love your support. And you can do that by rating, reviewing, and subscribing to our 3 for Thursday podcast. Finally, have a look at our free resources at FMI.online. See you next Thursday. Thursday.